Hi, I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and New York Times bestselling author. If you're like me, you want real security and defense news you can trust. You're probably tired of hearing the same talking heads, guys who have never seen the front lines, saying the same BS a hundred different ways. It's why I founded SoftRep.com, military-grade news produced entirely by our staff of military veteran journalists. Sign up at SoftRep for real news, real experience, real experts. SoftRep does what the mainstream media can't, deliver authentic content straight from the front lines. Sign up for a free trial membership today, and I'll give you my best-selling ebook, The Red Circle, for free. But that's not all. Your SoftRep membership also includes access to cutting-edge defense and security news by military experts, access to our award-winning documentaries, ebooks, special member events, and much more. So what are you waiting for? Let us know you're in. Sign up for your free trial membership today. Join our community at SoftRep.com. That's S-O-F-R-E-P dot com. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio. Special Operations Military News and straight talk with the guys in the community. Welcome back to Soft Rep Radio. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about this crazy coronavirus and the Afghanistan pullout. And yeah, we're going to talk about uh, two big important things. I'll start off with Corona. As the coronavirus was coming out of China, um, I was actually attending a Harvard Business School course called OPM. It's it's a two-year program for business owners, but it's for people from all over the world. And we have a handful of folks from China. So it was, it was interesting kind of seeing this whole coronavirus emerge on the global landscape. And a lot of my classmates kind of concerned with what was happening in our own small class. Because there was, you know, it's flu season. There definitely was a cold being spread among the class. Um, and then one guy ended up catching a fever and getting hospitalized. The campus police showed up to, to another person's room on campus. Uh, during the course, we actually you know, we live on campus for, for about four weeks. And then watching kind of this whole media scare and really hype. You know, when you look at this, unfortunately, we live in the age of the internet, which is great because news travels fast. But the traditional media outlets primarily make most of their money off advertising. And it's all about getting attention, right? So they need to grab attention. So they, you know, how can you direct people to your news site? If you're talking or reporting about Corona, well, you get some scary title. And, and, and unfortunately, 
fear works to drive a lot of traffic to these different sites. And so you end up with this like global media, almost like a media pandemic, let alone the, the virus being a pandemic in itself. And then you get this widespread concern and, and, you know, on the verge of panic from a global population. And to give you an example, I was in an Uber uh, this week and the Uber driver was saying that, you know, among the drivers, they were, they were literally talking about how they weren't picking up people in New York City with Asian names. Uh, and then eventually the profiles, uh, the, a lot of uh, the, the Asian profiles, they changed to American names. So, you know, like Sam, Bob, whatever, <laughs> to, to kind of get around the, the prejudice. So it's really, that part is, is unfortunate and a little bit sad to think that, you know, anybody from Asia living in a city like New York or, or the rest of America, whether they're, they're traveling in a subway or on an airplane, if, if they have the slightest cough, it's like everybody's ready to, to, uh, to panic. But it just shows you, I think, how crazy the media is and, and a little bit irresponsible in just like spreading the, the what I say, misinformation about Corona. You know, the, the mortality rate of Corona is a little bit higher than the basic flu, but most of those fatalities are in older people. Um, when I'm talking Corona fatalities, older people or, or people with pre-existing conditions. And so, you know, they, I don't think anyone's agreed on the exact mortality rate, but it's somewhere between 1% and 5%. Uh, and it, it, it really, you know, I, I read somewhere that if you're under 50, your odds are less than 1% uh, fatality rate. So it's really like just a bad version of the flu. Um, and I remember what happened also in Puerto Rico was with Zika. There was this massive Zika scare and, and I live half the year in Puerto Rico and um, I, I've known people that got Zika and just got over it. it. It really was dangerous if you were pregnant. But other than that, it was just a, a regular flu virus. So, you know, I think we watch all these movies like Outbreak and Afraid of the the Zombie Apocalypse uh, unfolding in real life. Uh, when in reality, you know, it's, you know, we're so globally connected now through air travel and information um, that, you know, obviously any type of new strain of virus is, is going to be scary. No arguing that. But I think the, the media has largely caused this massive panic. And now you have, um, unfortunately, you know, I've talked about this in the past about, you know, what's going to happen to the economy. And it's very interesting because, you know, you see this, some wild swings in the, in the stock markets. You've got some real concern. People, they're talking about postponing, potentially canceling the Summer Olympics in Japan. Um, you have major events being canceled throughout the U.S., uh, a lot of trade shows. Uh, my own trade show, uh, YPO, has a global event, leadership event every year. This year it was in San Diego. That event's been canceled. So the unfortunate thing is, you know, a lot of this is going to impact the U.S. economy. Where it's really showing up is how how reliant we are on China for a lot of textiles and, and consumer goods. And now we're seeing that these factories with the Chinese New Year happening just before the outbreak, the coronavirus and Chinese New Year, everything shuts down. You know, they, they, the factories close, everyone, everything kind of shuts down. And then on the, on the end of that, the coronavirus happening. And now, you know, companies that rely on 
uh, products made in China aren't able to source their products, so their supply chains are impacted, and everyone's kind of feeling the squeeze. Add to that, like I said, all these major trade shows getting shut down. It's like major, major blow to the economy. So, you know, you saw the interest rates lowered in the U.S. I I think what's going to happen is more people are going to stay home this summer. They're not going to travel abroad. But it's an interesting thing that's happening, and and it could potentially it'll impact the economy. You know, could have a negative effect and put us into recession globally, or you know, it could foster cooperation. Uh, globally between governments and and actually potentially stave off the recession for a little bit longer. Everything goes in cycles, right? So markets go up and down, economies go up and down. We've been in a, a pretty bullish economy now for for one of the longest runs in American history. Um, so it's just a matter of time before we see some type of correction. But but anyway, the coronavirus it's uh, definitely a thing. I don't think it's as bad as as people think. You know, I almost, I was talking to my friend this morning at breakfast. It's like, I almost wish I could just get it myself and get over with, get it over with. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. But, uh, anyway, I did write a piece on SoftRep, just how to prepare for the coronavirus. But it's really, you know, the piece that I wrote is essentially how to prepare for, uh, any kind of natural disaster or event like, uh, coronavirus. And I'm more worried about, this media-induced panic driving people to rush out to the grocery store. And obviously, this is already happening because I normally keep a go bag in the house and I keep a little bit of a fresh water supply and reserve and some basic basic stores. But I went in and bought some more some more stuff for my own my own purposes. And I could see like places on Amazon where stuff was out of stock. And so the the article I wrote was essentially just like what you should have on hand normally, just to be prepared. And and I'll go down the list uh, and share that with you. And and this should be something you should have at all times. It's just a good kind of peace of mind. If you have, whether you live alone or you're with the family and loved ones, you should have this stuff on hand just all the time. That way, if something does happen, you're prepared. Because most often what happens is some event occurs and by the time you're running out to get resupplied, you're already way behind the power curve. Um, so my thing is like, look, if you don't have what you need now, just go and stock up and put it in a closet or the basement uh, somewhere and just forget about it and know that you're prepared. If, if, stuff, if stuff were to happen, like let's just say they put a quarantine on your local city, now you can't travel outside of the city limits. Imagine what's going to happen with people running out to the pharmacy grocery store. All the stuff is going to be gone within seconds because the local supply chains are affected in, in any type of quarantine scenario. You can't get goods and services in and, in and out of the city. So just a good idea. So um, I'll go down the list. You know, clean drinking water is huge. Um, I would definitely invest in some type of water for your purification as well, like whether it's tablets or filters. That way, if you do have to use your local water supply, at least you have a way to, to kind of clean and, and filter out the bad stuff. And also stock up on on bottles of water, you know, like big jugs, um, just to kind of put it aside. You know, there's a lot of high-calorie survival meals out there. I'm a big fan of Mountain House. Uh, some uh, don't need to be heated or have water added. Unfortunately, most of the Mountain House stuff, you do have to add water and heat it. 
Uh, I would avoid buying any type of old military uh, MREs. We call them meals ready to eat only because there's just a lot of, a lot of fake MREs out there. You don't know what you're getting. Um, so unless, unless you have a hookup from somebody in the military that giving you a couple boxes, I would avoid that and just buy the, buy the commercial uh, survival stuff. Um, very easy to go Amazon or wherever and, and verify from the reviews, whether it's, whether it's good or not. A lot of, you can get organic canned and dry food options. You definitely don't want to be in a situation where you're living off survival meals for two weeks um, as, a, as your only option. Uh, I did it in Afghanistan for about four months and it was not a pleasant experience. A good first aid kit. Everybody should have like the basic kind of day-to-day first aid, but then also, you know, you should have a little bit more than the basic day-to-day, what we call boo-boo kit in the military. Um, I would definitely have some, some serious, um, stuff to, to dress like wounds. And, and I'm talking like what happens around the house. You cut yourself really badly. You potentially, you need to sew, sew somebody up, suture them up. You should have a, a suture kit, some type of uh, tourniquet, uh, lots of gauze. There's, there's some real good technology there on clotting gauze kits that, that really uh, stop the, the bleeding. And then uh, obviously with that goes, you should educate yourself on some basic first aid. And, and YouTube is a great resource, uh, to be honest. Then just basic stuff like toiletries, right? Soap, alcohol, hand rub, like disinfectant, but just the basic toiletries that, that you're going to need. Pet supplies, food for your pets too. A lot of people just don't don't realize. In some cases, probably you got more reserved pet food than you do f- food for your own family. Um, but it is good to think about the pets. Um, some type of you know basic mask with filtration. That that's in a case where you'd have to like move out in the open environment if an outbreak were to happen in in your uh, area. You'd at least have some basic uh, protection. And we do have some of those. We we found a pretty good source in the soft rep store, um, and we and we just got we just got uh, resupplied after we sold out the initial batch. Um, if you have young kids, you know, I would think about some type of board games, activities to keep the kids occupied, books. But also, uh, if you have infants, you got to stock up on the baby stuff, right? The whether it's formula, food, diapers, all that all that stuff. I'd always think having a, also a good portable radio is a good idea with spare batteries, um, as well as, uh, headlamps. You know, when the lights go out, the power goes out, you always want to have candles are good, but LEDs, uh, they last so long, um, even with the basic, uh, batteries that, you know, I'm a big fan of hands-free lighting sources, like a LED headlamp, plenty of those available on the internet and at REI. Portable GPS, also a fan of that. You know, these portable GPS maps, if you do have to navigate somewhere, at least you have a portable option uh, with battery backup. Always a good thing. I would also think about kind of that one good outfit you could put on and, and wear for several days. You know, a good jacket, all-weather jacket. Um, I'm a big fan of natural materials like wool because you can wear wool socks for several days. Uh, wool has a natural tendency to eliminate odor. Uh, We used to have a saying in the military, cotton kills, because when you get cotton wet, it's the worst. So big fan of wool, natural materials as underlayers. Not only is wool warm uh, when it's wet or when you sweat in it, it's a natural material 
very rugged uh, and resistant to, to odor. So huge fan of just kind of any type of wool socks. Um, and they have some great kind of, you know, I use wool sock liners from REI as my kind of everyday sock because they're, they're just great. Uh, what else? Um, also like one good backpack per person and, and make sure there's a pack for everybody. Have some first aid, you know, a mini first aid kit in every pack, some food, some portable water, filters. Everyone should have their, their own kind of go bag for the family. And this stuff, like once you prep it, you just put it away and forget about it. Right. So that, that's the, that's the point I'm getting at here. Just have it put away. If shit does go down, you're prepared and you know, you've got a plan together. And speaking of plan, if you do have a family, you got to come up with a basic, simple plan. Like, Hey, if, if something happens, you're at kids are at school, you're at work, we're going to rally, have a rally point, And that could be home. That could be a relative's house, some place where they know if, if they lose cell phone signal, like they go here, everybody is going to meet at this spot. And, and the simpler the plan, the, the better. And everybody should know what that is. So that, that I can't emphasize that enough. And I always, even when I travel with my kids, I say, okay, if something happens, um, whether it's a, God forbid, a terrorist attack, like what happened in Paris, but this is the plan, go here. If we get separated, this is what you do. Because look, we are so reliant on our cell phones these days. If the cell towers go out, you need to have that basic plan. Um, always a surprise on how many people just don't put enough time into it or have that conversation with the family. I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and founder of The Crate Club. Tired of the same old gift ideas? Want military-grade survival gear delivered to your doorstep? Then get Crate Club, the box built by Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and Special Ops guys. With backpacks, holsters, and more military-grade gear, it's the perfect gift for the guy in your life. Subscribe to Crate Club, and we'll also include The Killing School, my best-selling ebook about America's elite snipers. That's CrateClub.com, CR club.com Anyway, that's kind of my tips on coronavirus. Uh, again, you know, to recap, I, I think the media has not done uh, the general population justice. They're really good at kind of fear mongering to drive page views. Uh, and in reality, the coronavirus or COVID nineteen it's 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 a nasty little virus, but the odds of odds of you dying from it are extremely, extremely low. And so just, just keep that in mind. And, and, and I'm, I'm guessing that in the next few years, we're going to get some type of version of it uh, anyway, because it's just the way people pass uh, viruses and we get sick and we build our immune system and you know the, the cycle of life continues. So it just is what it is. So on to the next topic and before I get into Afghanistan, I do want to remind people to please email us your questions, radio at softrep.com, uh, radio at softrep.com. Any type of interviews, topics, guests you want to see on the show, please let us know. I will say uh, Peter Berg's team reached out to us uh, last week, so we're looking forward to having Peter Berg uh, on the show. Uh, as many of you know, Peter Berg directed Lone Survivor. Uh, he's got a new movie out on Netflix uh, that we'll talk about when he's in studio. And, and again, if you have if you haven't seen my friend Todd's movie, The Last Full Measure, uh, please check that out. The Last Full Measure. It's it's a based on a true story of a uh, Air Force pararescue man in Vietnam getting awarded the the Medal of Honor. Uh, great story, great movie. Uh, Todd's a good friend of mine, 
and he is also a big supporter of the military. So appreciate you going and showing support for the last full measure. Let's talk about Afghanistan, right? We're looking at close to 20 years in Afghanistan. Um, I've talked about it before. I, I, I think about it as my generation's Vietnam with, with just a better homecoming. Really, after the first three, what I could say around three, year, three years of occupation in Afghanistan, uh, America really should have just pulled out. In my, if I had the magic wand and it could go back in time, you know, we would have pulled out of Afghanistan entirely. You know, the, the main objective when I, when I went over there with SEAL Team 3 was disrupt the terrorist training networks that had been established post-Soviet withdrawal. As you remember, um, in the 80s, uh, the CIA and the U.S. government were backing the Mujahideen in Afghanistan that were fighting the Soviets. And the Mujahideen was essentially uh, morphed into al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. You know, after the Soviets withdrew, Afghanistan became this like haven for Mujahideen training camps. You know, that, that kind of proliferated into bin Laden kind of leading the Al-Qaeda and looking for the next, you know, enemy of Islam, which was clearly in his eyes, uh, America, the United States occupation of the Middle East. You know, they had this major kind of run, free run and free reign of Afghanistan to kind of you know, turn it into this train terrorist training network. And post 9-11, it was clear that, okay, we need to go in Afghanistan, wipe these training camps off the face of the earth, you know, kill as many terrorists, bad guys as we can, essentially sending a message that, look, America's not going to take this um, kind of thing as well as the rest of the free world. And, and I think that's why it was very easily easy for the U.S. to kind of build a coalition. And that coalition was pretty strong. You know, you have Poland, uh, the UK, Canada, uh, the Netherlands, most of free Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand participating in, in this coalition in Afghanistan. We largely accomplished that mission in the first couple of years. While we didn't find bin Laden right away, um, we know now that he escaped across the border into Pakistan, uh, ultimately. However, we should have pulled out. And now we're here almost 20 years later. What the hell do we really have to show for Afghanistan? Now we're trying to get this peace deal signed with the Taliban. Um, but the point is, I think Trump is, is, is right to say, let's end it and bring American troops home. Um, the problem that I see in a lot of my fellow veterans is they come back from later stage Afghanistan tours. And I'm talking post-2005. They lose friends over there. They see not only not only their friends dying, but people getting wounded and injured. They're coming back to the U.S. and they're kind of stepping back. Maybe they're transitioned outside of the civilian world, and they're like, "Okay, what the hell was this all about?" And I think that's where that's where people really struggle psychologically because they cannot rationalize the terrible acts that they've done or seen overseas. Compared to when I was there in 2001, 2002, um, it's very easy for me to come back and rationalize what we did, having being deployed over there right on the heels of 9-11, having a very clear objective. Um, it's very easy for me to come home and rationalize the things that we did over during my, my own personal deployment. However, have, had I put myself in the shoes 
in, in a thought experiment of going and deploying in 2010 and seeing and, and you know, terrible things happen. And look, there'll always be some internet tough guys like kill them all, let God sort them out. And in the right context, I, I, I can get on board with that statement. However, the reality is we're talking about young American 17, 18, 19, 20 year old men and women getting put into this bureaucratic machine and the gears are just grind, grinding away at, at their mental state, right? And so it's a, it's a serious thing. And it's why we're having a major issue now with veteran suicide in the US. You know, people literally, I'm talking, I remember I spoke to a Marine a few months ago and he said, yeah, I've lost more guys in my unit post deployment from suicide than we did when we had casualties uh, in Afghanistan. So that's the reality of the situation. So I think it's long overdue that the U.S. withdraw troops from Afghanistan. Long, long overdue. And I I think Afghanistan, unfortunately, is not going to be a better place uh, with the exception of potentially a more stable government uh, that will leave. So maybe that's the probably the, the most beneficial uh, part of leaving Afghanistan a little bit better off is that I'll have a, a more stable government. I think we have to acknowledge that the Taliban is a big force um, and not everybody wants to live by the same uh, standards as we do in America and the rest of the, the free world. And we just have to make peace with that. Um, it's just like communist China. Some cultures choose to live differently, and it's just a fact of life. We cannot force people uh, into uh, cultural change overnight. It takes time for people to kind of evolve and make their own decisions and have regime change, all that good stuff. So I do think that it's a it's time we pull out of Afghanistan, and uh, and I'm glad to see uh, we are we are making progress there, even though. There is, you know, obviously some continued tension with the Taliban, uh, but it looks like 4,000 troops within the first 135 days uh, are going to be withdrawn, withdrawn uh, out of the current 13,000 troops currently deployed. Uh, so almost half, and then the 8,600 remaining would leave within 14 months. So I think it's a good, it's a good move, you know, and it's unfortunate that uh, it hasn't been done probably 17 years earlier. Anyway, uh, we cannot continue to run around the globe, I've said this many times, um, and try and police every possible conflict um, and be the, the world's police when we have serious issues at home in America with, with our healthcare and education system. It's time for us to kind of focus a little bit inward. We still have to, we have a responsibility as a world leader Uh, But we need to really start refining our global foreign policy strategy, which, you know, you ask any politician, they're going to tell you a different answer, which is a big problem. I've I've harped on this over and over again. When you have a very unclear foreign policy strategy, you get into a situation where you drift along in Afghanistan for 20 years, don't have anything to show for it. And it's a shame that the probably close to a trillion dollars that has been pumped in to Afghanistan and the loss of, of future generations of America, relatively nothing to show for it. 
um, I could think of a much better way to spend a trillion dollars at home and include our basic healthcare services for the citizens as well as our education system. Um, I, I believe that the U.S. is rich enough to have a robust, um, if we can stand up, you know, these massive government bureaucracies to, to, to essentially serve in multiple capacities in, in government from the IRS to the State Department to the, your, your local, just think of your local government and how much they spend. You know, we can carve out some budget and start thinking about ways not only to give, to shore up our public school system, but be able to offer a free, like taxpayer funded basic college education for our own citizens, which is really investing in our country, right? We're, we're really lose, we're at a point where we're losing our technology edge in multiple ways from AI to financial technology, communications technology. It's, it's really an investment in the future of America and the future generation by, you know, looking at the skill sets shortfalls in the U.S., as well as refining our immigration policy. Australia has a great policy, Canada as well, where they identify uh, skill set shortages and then they let people immigrate that can fill those skill sets. Uh, America, we have a lottery system, uh, which is crazy to me that we have a lottery in all these different countries and just let anyone in. There's no rhyme or reason to it. But anyway, um, I'm on a little bit of a tangent now, but that's kind of my feelings with Afghanistan. I'm glad it's happening. I hope we can redirect some of that funding to these critical programs that, that definitely need attention in America, like the school system, um, healthcare. And, and, and with the school system, you know, I'm saying, look, I'm all, I'm a capitalist. I'm all about free markets. The fact that, you know, I pay my taxes and my kids can go to public school and get a good education, there's, that, that's a great thing. And, and it should be the same for college. Like some, you know, kids that can't afford to get into an Ivy League school or scholarship into these places should be able to have to go to school or a trade school and get trained up on technology or whatever they're interested in and not have to leave a, a government like state owned uh, or run school and leave it with $100,000 plus in student debt. It's just, it's, uh, America is too great of a country to let this happen uh, to our own citizens and future generation. And we need serious change in this country. I've been saying this for a long time now. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, you should run for politics. Not a chance that's going to happen for me. It's just such a, I, I've given enough to this country without putting my family through a, a nasty kind of political campaign. It's, and it's, it's unfortunate the way, you know, any, None of us are perfect, right? We've all, we've all done things we've regretted, made mistakes, done things like stupid things that, that we've learned from and hopefully become better people. Um, but to have that kind of exposed and even in the case where uh, you look at the Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh getting a, a 16 year old high school when he was 16 at a high school party, making some off comment to, you know, some girl at a, at a party. I mean, it's just like crazy. You know, think about when you were 16, all the dumb shit that, that we all did back then and having that. And now in the age of the Internet, just being on display for everybody. So, <laughs> look, I'm not I'm not interested in politics. I'm in, I'm interested as a concerned citizen having these conversations and using my being a, a member 
of my local business chapter, being a former member of the SBA's advisory board as a veteran, you know, I, I do believe in, in giving back and continue, continuing to serve and contribute um, as a citizen of, of this country, but I have no interest in running for politics. So, so please don't, please don't ask again. <laughs> um, anyway, just uh, a short show this week. I am looking forward to getting back in studio and getting some really good guests for you guys. Again, don't hesitate to write in your questions. Um, I hope you're check, you've checked out the new site at softrep.com and seen a lot of the changes that we made, uh, as well as the crateclub.com. You know, we're, we're constantly trying to improve both the content experience. I will update you on this. We're, we are talking to a, a major video game publisher in the U.S. about doing a, a soft rep, uh, sniper first person shooter video game for console. That's exciting. We've also got several, several, um, inquiries on some film and television rights deals now because we have, I've done a lot of soft rep books in the past on our own. Now we actually have an author direct portal. So any, any writer who's interested in telling a military story, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, can now upload that manuscript on our soft rep books page. And we are now publishing several books um, and plan to publish a lot more that we could potentially turn into TV series and, and film. So we're excited about that. A lot of good stuff happening. Yeah. What else? I'm trying to think of. Uh, yeah, I covered the most. The game, the uh, software books. Um, you know, we'll probably get 20 plus titles out this year. It'll be ebook format on available on Apple iBooks and Amazon and Audible as well. And if the books, uh, the advantage on Amazon when you do an ebook on Amazon, it automatically offers a print on demand copy. But if we get a book that's doing really well, we, we will do a hardback. Uh, print run on that and sell it into uh, uh, some of the indie bookstores, potentially Barnes and Noble as well. But exciting stuff happening. Um, always uh, interesting journey. We started SoftRep and SoftRep Radio eight years ago, and we've learned a lot along this this journey. Appreciate the listener support. Oh, the last thing I would mention: we recently uh, signed a deal with iHeart Media. We're going to get support of iHeart Studios uh, for the podcast. So we're looking forward to that. iHeart gives us a ton of access to some really interesting guest rosters as well. So we're looking forward to uh, for that relationship uh, this year. iHeart has been a great partner for us. Super exciting stuff on the horizon. Appreciate all the support. Like I said, uh, our content team here at Software Media is 100% uh, veteran run. And we appreciate that. We believe in making a decent profit decently. And we're big supporters of military charities and employing uh, veterans. And I'm my personal philosophy, I would much rather give a hand up than a handout. And I, I think we've really learned a lot along the way and uh, how we operate. And we have a great team. So I'm, I'm really fortunate for that. And I, I appreciate your guys' support. So... Um, if you don't, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brandon T. Webb. Brandon T. as in Tyler, uh, Webb, W-E-B-B. Um, I run those accounts myself. Please follow us at SoftRep on Twitter and on Instagram as well. I will see you guys very soon out here. You've been listening to SoftRep Radio. 
New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.